Welcome back, Artsport community. Kit Harvey with you once again. This episode, we've got a big one in store for you, a chat we've been building up to for a while with a guy we think represents a lot of what Artsport is about, Western Bulldogs cult hero, Shane Biggs. I set myself a challenge in the lead up to sitting down with Shane. I wanted to avoid mentioning a moment that's come to define his career, a series of gut-busting one percenters in quick succession that led to a Liam Picken goal late in the 2016 AFL Grand Final. It's everywhere already, so do yourself a favour and find it on YouTube with a search term that's become synonymous with the feelings surrounding the Bulldogs at that time. Shane Biggs, never forget. Instead, Shane took me back to his childhood in Melbourne's eastern suburbs, from answering the phones at the local chip shop to his somewhat unexpected and unorthodox journey to footy at the highest level. It's hard not to laugh along with Shane, a natural storyteller and big-time hands-talker. Forgive our touchy entry-level microphones, they're just doing their best. Shane Biggs, let's get into it. Shane Biggs, first of all, thanks so much for joining us on Our Conversations. No worries. It's been a little while coming. I can't believe Anthony's actually managed to pull it off. I know. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been skirting for the last few weeks. No, I had, I had COVID in that last few weeks. I was so. going to ask you, how, how are you actually feeling on the back of coronavirus? No, no, I'm, I'm feeling all right. I was actually pretty shaken up for for half of the week. I um, wasn't quite sure what to expect from it, but um, I'm back. I'm back for you boys, for the first thing I've done since... <laughs> We're on it. <laughs> it's the nature of the beast, though. You don't quite know how it's going to affect you. The coronavirus. You, I mean, for me, it was a couple of couple of days of pretty bad symptoms, and then more or less smooth sailing. Super lucky position to be in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're stoked to finally have you in here. It's um, it's been a I guess a podcast we've talked about quite a quite a lot over a number of months. Just ever since we sort of had the idea to to get it going, we thought, oh, who's who are some people that we'd like to get in pretty pretty early? And Shane Biggs, you were definitely on the list. Because I rock up at <laughs> sandwich joint a bit, isn't it? Yeah. I think he, I think it's actually because Anthony somehow managed to flog you some gear at some yeah, stage. I don't know about flogging. I think he gave it to me, so I can't really. I can't. I've actually sold him down the river. He's gone red faced, but uh, <laughs> nah, that's uh, it is very cool. In all seriousness, to get you in, and, and thanks so much for your time. I want to take you back to the early, early days, the fresh, cool, crisp air of Melbourne's outer eastern suburbs. Croydon, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, is Croydon, where you, you grew up. Take me through the junior footy days. Um, which club did you play for and was playing AFL always something that was on your mind? Um, I started at East Ringwood, um, obviously out east. Um, and then, well, to be honest, it was, a, it was a little bit, you know, when I was probably up until about 14. Um, and then everyone else grew. Um, and I stayed really – I did. I was just miniature. I was tiny. Um and everyone grew and I sort of lost interest in it by about 17s, you know, because I was getting bashed around a bit and wasn't as good as I thought I should be. So I sort of drifted off a bit and then went to Divi 3 with my mates and just played for Warrandyte. The twos, twos. Yeah, the twos, yeah. So <laughs> so we were just down there having a laugh, you know. You know, when you're that age, you just find girls and drinking and whatever else. Um, but so I was just having a muck around and managed to play some good games and played in the seniors and... In, my, in year twelve and the year after, I grew, I grew heaps. I grew like, like I don't know, how, I can't think of how, but inches. I grew a lot. Like when I was the year out of school, it's kind of uncommon. Yeah, I know. So I suddenly was six foot two, six, six foot one, six foot two, and playing pretty well in Div three. So I thought, oh, whatever. And then, yeah, um, found my way to train a bit with a VFL team and 
through that. Yeah. Yeah, I want to, I guess, go through that a little bit. You had a slightly alternative route uh, into the AFL, yeah. kind of through the back door in a little way from a VFL club as opposed to uh, via the TAC Cup where a lot of the, the young guns, the really likely prospects come through the quarter cannons, the Northern Knights, et cetera. Um, what was that like coming in through via uh, Bendigo? I guess they saw a few games in you that they, they really liked and thought there was something there. Yeah. And you went down to Bendigo, played some games. Uh, I believe you played a chunk of games at the back end of a season that yeah. were really good. Yeah, so that was the second year I was there, actually. So I'd, I'd already done it for nearly a whole year of training just in the twos. And at the time, they only had one twos team. So if Essendon had no injuries, there were three or four players getting a game. That's it. So we had a whole 20 that didn't play. So the next year, yeah, I played the last four games, including the final for Bendigo. I think four or five. I'm not – I think four. Um, and, yeah, managed to play sort of out of my skin, to be honest. I'd never played like it before. I remember playing as Geelong and on a wing and just doing stuff that I'd never done before. It was weird. I just didn't play wing. Um. <laughs> but to get drafted off the, off the back of four, I presumably absolute blinders, four games, yeah. and then Sydney thought, oh, gee, there's a bit in this kid. Yeah, it was weird. And then I um, then they invited – I've said it before, but they invited me down to do a beep test at, at Smoko. <laughs> it was working. Blind or no. – <laughs> I was walked up in my work shorts and that and did the beep test and did that all right and that. So they did a few tests on me. Um, but, yeah, it was a it was an odd couple of weeks there. It was a really odd couple of weeks there. <laughs> I didn't even know the draft was on. So it was um, it was pretty wild. I've heard a little story, a couple of little birds, and it's in the media just a little bit, the story behind what you were up to the moment that they actually they were, they actually tried to draft. They actually rung you up and they, they they were trying to get you on the side, but you were actually a little bit busy at the time. You were doing other stuff. Yeah, I was yeah, I was pretty busy. Um How deep was the trench that you were in that you were digging? Are we talking like a couple of shovel depths? I've said it before and I'm not not taking the piss. Like so my phone was above me, so I literally would have to, I had to get my arm out of the hole. So it was a pretty deep freaking hole. Um and I was sick to death of it. Um, so when my phone went off about a hundred times, I can't say how many phone messages and were on there. And it took who was it take me old man or my mum or someone to? I didn't. I thought they were lying. I thought everyone was taking the piss. So it took me a while. It took it took the loved one to tell me I'd been drafted to believe him. So it would have taken a massive stitch up for somebody to be like Shane. You've actually been drafted and a hundred of them hundred people done. and for that to be some sort of really cruel joke <laughs> can you imagine that, that setup the, the thing is i've got mates that would do that so <laughs> it's my caliber of mates i guess do, do they know <laughs> do they know who they are <laughs> yeah. well i reckon they know if they listen so yeah you know who you are <laughs> We won't ask you to name and shame, but that's uh, that. I don't know about the caliber there. Nah, yeah, that's um. The thing is, I would probably do it to my mate if he was in my position. So I can't really talk. At what stage of playing ridiculous footy for four games for Bendigo in the VFL, uh, and Sydney saying, "Hey, let's do some fitness testing. Let's check you out. Let's chat, and maybe we can work something out in the draft." At what stage in that process did you think it was actually a realistic possibility? Um, oh, to be honest, I, the whole time I thought, no way, you know, and that's just the way I was built. Um, but then I remember, I think, the Bendigo, we, we trained at Bendigo the night before, I think, and it was a Thursday and the coach who was, um, it was well, Brendan McCartney, who was the Bulldogs coach, was down there at some base and Shannon Grant was down there who helped a lot with me. Um, and someone said something about how many were going to get drafted, you know, and – there was a lot more belief then and they said someone said my name and that and it, it still wasn't that but I was just at till that point I was just 
training with Bendigo, you know, that's just the way it was. And, you know, we we're getting up for work and that. So it was, um, you didn't want to believe, like you really didn't want to do it to yourself and <laughs> believe and then have to get up at 6am the next day and get in that freaking trench. So, <laughs> yeah. It's, I can only imagine what that disappointment would have been like if you had built it up in your head. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. It sounds to me like you had at least a couple of irons in the fire. You know, you had a you had a plan. You weren't really sounds. You obviously weren't banking on an AFL career. Yeah. You, you might not have even been banking on a VFL career. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, I definitely wasn't. No. What was the plan? You were digging trenches. You yeah, just keep so digging trenches. Pretty much. I was a I was a first year apprentice plumber, um, and then I actually I actually just. So the biggest thing I did was give it up to play VFL because I wanted to just work three days a week. So my family at the time, my dad's trusted everything I've done besides that, I think. Um, he wasn't – he didn't want me to stop it um, and I needed to obviously train on Fridays and give a bit more time to it. So it was a pretty good decision in the end that I had to make. It was scary shit, but um, did it, um, quit that and then was just working with some chippies a few days a week. So I could train and put a bit more in. And that was that last year that I eventually got a few games. So, yeah, it's pretty up I did it in the end. But, yeah, it would have just been plumbing like I am again now. Was that always the plan? checking your notes. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I've got so, – I genuinely – you are a man of many talents. There are many stories. Oh, no, you're scrolling through. You I genuinely – look at this. I genuinely reckon there's more notes there than for anyone I've ever spoken to. I used to take notes for a living just for personal reference. You were also playing a little bit of cricket at that time when you were, yeah. were a teenager and went back uh, to rewind the clock slightly. Yeah. I'm curious, did it, at any stage, did you want to be the next Alex Keith or uh, Alex Carey perhaps? So a little bit of uh, cricket for, you for Australia You maybe. definitely have done your notes, haven't you? Yeah, no. Nah. Could you have been a two-sport champion? Well, I, I, I literally, my mate tells a story. I don't know what's, if that's gone on your notes, but my mate told the story of the like not long before the draft, I said, I really want to concentrate on my cricket. <laughs> And I was shit ass, man. Like I was playing twos, maybe the odd ones again, but I was trash. And he, yeah, he always reminds me of that. I, he goes, I was, he was, I was swearing to him that I was going to concentrate on my cricket. So, so you got to charge that phone, mate. Those notes are going to go up, mate. I need these notes. <laughs> this is like the encyclopedia of Shane Beers. Yeah. It genuinely is. Uh, were you a batsman, bowler, or rounder? Oh, bit of nothing. both, but batsman, nothing, nothing really. I was there to sledge, bring some lamingtons. That's about it. But yes, I am back playing cricket again. Oh, you're kidding? Yeah, or no? Yeah, I've waited for a bat all year because of COVID. I bought one from overseas through my mate. I thought you meant you were waiting for a bat. They put you oh, so far down the order that you haven't even had a chance. Yeah, pretty much. What sort of bat did you get? Oh, just this one from overseas, a clean skin one that I put some stuff on and that. But um, so I got it the last round of the year. Finally got it, and went out second ball. <laughs> Did you nick one? No, no. So the first one, I actually got bad on it, which was good, but then I was clean bowled. So I can picture this situation where you're at home knocking the. Is it? I don't know if cricket bats are like they were when I was a kid. I don't think you need the 40 hour. You needed 40 hours. You got the mallet, like the yeah. wood or the cricket ball on a stick oh, and like driving your family nuts. Oh, my mum used to hate me. No, no, they're pretty good to go now, which makes it even worse. They haven't not been able to hit it, but. Yeah, hit a few hit a few balls in the nets before, which was all right, but coming off pretty good. <laughs> so the cricket's still a chance, actually. I might have to get – actually, I can't get Justin Langer on the phone anymore. I might have to get someone else on the phone. Nah, to be honest, um, nah, I don't know. I don't know why I was playing. It's a long day, but they might be able to get me back down so unless I, I sell the bat. I guess trades and cricket, they were sort of irons in the fire. You had a few things going on when you got drafted, but – Basically, what you're saying is, thank goodness you got drafted. Yeah, thank Christ. 
<laughs> useless at sport and other than footy and um and yeah, I was digging trenches. So um was, I was doing a few other things as well at the time, but a few other irons what do you say? Irons in the Irons in the fire. Irons in the fire like that. You're actually no stranger to maybe not fire, but to hot oil. I wanna go back a little bit further again. I wanna this is a little thing we touched on off air. Uh, your experience in a, a fish and chip shop in in Croydon when you how old were you when you were working there? I reckon I was it was long just too long. I reckon I was probably fourteen or fifteen till about eighteen, nineteen. So I was I was still doing that while I was playing at Warren. I, on the only the busy shifts by the end, you know, Fridays and Saturdays. The rock star shift. The ro- <laughs> They'd call in Shane Biggs. They'd be like, I reckon Shane's Shane's probably the man for yeah. the job here. Yeah, I just yep could do it all. And it was called Davinas. Yeah. Take me through the take me through the dynamic there. I was so I listened to this. Uh, Bob Murphy did a uh, podcast with you, uh, Anthony. And I, we were all discussing off air. You, you've done a few things here and there, and talked about footy and life a little bit. Um, but I wanted to know more about the fish and chip shop setup specifically because the way that you tell it is is very amusing. Well, yeah, it was, it's funny. Well, my bro- I ended up my brother ended up working there too. So like I had the whole fam. It was a family affair. So yeah, with David and Christina and. Um, I drilled into the name a bit one day and, yeah, they told me it was, they just merged their names together, Davina, which is quite humorous at the time. It's still pretty funny for me looking back. Um, but, yeah, it was really just – at the start it was just me and, and you know, David and Christina. And to be honest, you know, they, they hadn't been here long and I was sort of used as the negotiator and the phone man and, you know, every now and again got to shake the chips in the fry. But – that David, he didn't like me doing it much, you know, but I did a bit of everything. Um, and I actually grew to quite like the place. And I, I, I actually eat more fish and chips now and during than, you know, than I did before, which was, I only got a job there because we used to go there every Friday to get fish and chips. I thought, how good is this? I'll come home with pineapple fritters, whatever, whatever the family wants. Um, and then ended up staying there and loving it. So it's pretty gross, but did that get you the job? The fact that you were a familiar face. Yeah, it was you, probably like, oh, yeah. You were basically the number one ticket yeah. holder down at Davina. I think we were already spending so much money there. They thought, yeah, we'll give them a job and give them some free stuff. But no, it was um, it was an interesting part of my life. I was doing it all then, and then my mum jokes about it. She said, you used to be, you know, so busy, and you know, um, liked your school and your work, and I was you know, selling birds on the side. I think you saw in your notes and, um, and you know, mum said, then what happened? Something happened yeah." And I think I got to about 17, 18, found other stuff and threw everything out the window. So mum often reminds me of it, to be honest. I want to know a little bit more about the exotic birds, to be specific, the Indian ringnecks. <laughs> so from wrangling the phones at the local chippy, you then went on to breeding rare birds, not just birds, rare birds. <laughs> That sound that sounds so messed up when you say it like that, isn't it? Yeah, some kind of wheeler and dealer, like some kind of like black market. <laughs> that was all, it was all pretty above board, semi above board. What um, made you do that though? Are you, have you always been interested in birds, or did you nah. dip in? You saw a whole gap in the market, so to speak. Um, no, nah, I don't reckon either. Well, to be honest, I, I wanted a dog or a cat, and Mum and Dad said no. So I went, "How am I going to? How am I going to stuff them up?" So I made Dad build me an aviary. I was like, "I'm going to fill the bastard with birds, and I'll show them they can get me a dog or a cat." And ended up kind of liking them um, to an extent. It was just the breeders, and they did their thing, and um, the rest of them didn't have names and that. I wasn't that crazy. Um, How many birds are we talking? Oh, at, at any one time, probably f- from 10 to 20. And so it was a pretty big aviary. Dad's, dad's shed now. 
So it's um, but yeah. So I used to sell them on the um, you know, what's it called? The um, trading post, old school, in the paper. Yeah, OG, pre yeah, printed. So um, I had some funny stories of that. I and you, you didn't know the breed of them until they were three years old because they'd get a ring. So I just sold them as boy or girl, depending on what they wanted, and just said and just hope three years later they didn't come back complaining. That actually sounds a little bit like the waiting game when you do a rapid antigen test for it and you're waiting for the second line to pop yeah. up if you're if you're COVID positive. <laughs> it's a long fifteen minutes. No, but the, yeah, the three years was um was my sort of get out of jail free card. I thought three years I'll be out of this joint and then I wasn't. I lived there for my whole life and <laughs> in my head at the time I was like, I'm you know untouchable, got three years, but had no one come back, so she's good. So you're in the eastern suburbs. Did you want to get out, or was it sort of like a place you were happy to like? You wanted to create a life there and your and your family. It sounds a little bit like you've got a foot in both camps. Um, you mean, or, or so? Yes, I would. Yeah, no, that does sound like I want to escape. I kind of did to be honest. I, I all my mates were from elsewhere, and we used to, you know, we weren't part of the rest of the eastern suburbs crew. We went to Dakota and Orange Whip. I don't know if you've heard of those. Those establishments and that. So we were sort of teased for wanting to go to the city all the time. We get the night rider home and that. So I sort of, it was a bit too sleepy in the east for me. Um, so I'm pretty happy now in the west. There's a bit more happening. So before we move on completely, I've got a bird story. <laughs> I work in a picture frame shop and I've never seen anything like this until a guy brought in two damaged frames. And I just looked at them and thought, these have been through a wood chipper. Anyway, it turns out the guy is a, a rare bird breeder and a collector. And he's got these wild cockatoos. <laughs> oh, shit. No, I'm deadly serious. Hey, this is serious, guys. It sounds like it's joke. No, no, I'm deadly serious. I've got photos on my phone to show you if you want. <laughs> I've never seen something go through a frame. It was genuinely like termites had made a house in this frame and eaten it from the outside in. It had chunks missing. Did anything ever go wrong with your birds? Like, it, I guess when it goes wrong, it could go really wrong. Yeah, it's funny. My mum still got one in the cage inside because it was the one that didn't let the others eat. So, mum, I made mum put it inside, and they live for freaking ages. So this, yeah, this thing squawks morning to night. Mum's too nice to give it the ass. But um, yeah, we tried to do a few things. We tried to introduce it to some of the cats that we got, and it nearly killed the cats. It didn't let the other birds eat. So it's been some. It nearly killed mum's first cat which is this bird's is angry yeah so i can i know the wood chipper story um i know what you're saying with that they're capable of some pretty hard things they uh dad's tried to grab it a few times to you know give it whatever on that but um yeah you come off second best they're crazy they could chop your finger off honestly by way of a segue a very neat little little segue into another sort of bird i want to talk about your time at the swans oh yeah a little bit of that. Nice. So you ended up getting drafted by the Swans. You're picked up. The AFL dream is kind of, it's happening, it's rolling, but you don't get a game until your second year. What was your debut like? And was there a bit of a frustration there, I guess, uh, making the side and then maybe not getting a game as soon as you wanted to? It was a little bit. I mean, I knew that it was going to, I was a pretty young 20 year old. You know, I was, I was 68 kilos and I was, pretty green as far as life and even footy goes especially footy because i'd just come through this weird weird you know tornado of whatever happened um and so the first year i was you know i was pretty happy just training away and doing my best to you know get trusted by the team and whatnot um but it was that rookie rule as well so i wasn't actually allowed to play unless there was a long-term injury so i wasn't so there were times in late in my first and i think early in my second where 
you know, I was told that I would be playing, but I can't legally play, you know, and that, that really hurt me and that actually did get to me. I really did. I struggled mentally. It was, like, it was a hard, really hard two or three years. Um, but then I finally got, you know, my game and it made everything feel pretty good, you know, and my family. It was, it was another thing that was a big, big milestone. I guess another factor at play is that you've moved to a totally new city. Had you spent much time in Sydney before getting drafted? No, I'd never been there. I'd never been there before in my life. And um, so that was really hard. And I was, you know, in quote, you know, I was mum, I really was a mummy's boy, you know. I was um, I was pretty dependent on her um, for, for most things. So I think the whole thing was, a, it was, it was really hard. So that's why the first year was a big learning curve for me. And I started making steps in the second year, but um it was tough, just even washing my own stuff. <laughs> I mean, learning what paying bills. I oh, know, yeah. Washing dishes. My brother, my brother still drops his clothes off to mum as well. I'm just going to throw him under the bus for no reason. So sorry, oh. Dame. <laughs> yes. I reckon that's actually due, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, probably. So I guess you're kind of learning not only how to be an AFL footballer, you're kind of learning how to be an adult in a totally new city, away from your family, away from your friends. What did life look like outside footy in Sydney for you? Like, did you, you know, bond with some of the guys pretty well, or was it a bit of a struggle just because you weren't in the side and maybe on the outer a little bit? Um, it, it was we were pretty lucky because because at the time Swans had a really set team. You know, they were they were guns. So we had a whole seconds team. You know, Tommy Mitchell, me. Um, there's heaps of boys that went on to play AFL footy, but we were all playing in the twos for two years. You know, like no matter what. So. You know, we sort of had our big crew and it wasn't like it was, you know, we weren't in the team and that. We all had our own team at the time and we sort of, you know, played like that and it was it was like a lot like a family. So um, that really did help. And my parents come up a lot too. They come up probably every nearly second week. Um, so it was a good environment once I got through the real tough bit, but it never goes away being away from your family and that it, I really struggled with it, to be honest, yeah. You ended up playing six games in three years at the Swans. Was that kind of more than you thought you'd get, or was it at the time kind of you took what you you yeah. took what you were given? I think so. I think at the t- I think probably leading up to that, I, and obviously I just wanted to play a game. You know, everyone says that, but I really did just want to play a game. Um, and then I sort of sh- to myself thought I could do it once I played a couple of games, and then probably the frustration came in a bit more when I was again on the rookie list and couldn't play again. You know, because I went back to the list, so that was probably the big, the hardest bit for me was being put back on it. Um, uh, yeah, and not being able to play even if there was a spot up for grabs. So that was the mentally that was as hard as as hardest thing as I've had to deal with. Yeah, that is such a set side though, Sydney at that time, and you know they played some finals footy and played played really well. Yeah. I guess after that three years, and then it would have felt pretty good, I guess, to be coming home after the Western Bulldogs showed some interest and. Um, Put a put a transaction on the table. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, like having said all that, you know, that was I needed that three years to be honest. You know, I definitely needed it for as, as a person and and as a footballer. Um, and to yeah, for them to be interested, and I come back down, and I'd never been west of Melbourne, so literally I'd never been to the west of Melbourne. So Dad drove me into Footscray and goes, "This is Footscray." I was like, "Where am I?" Like this, is, you know, it's like my home now, but it's it's a different world, you know. It's just you know, so much stuff going on. It's really it's such a cool, vibey place. And I've been from the east, you know, hanging at the Croydon Station, so I was. It was a lot for me to take in, but I said I really like it here. Um, and yeah, it was pretty much as quick as that. I decided that I wanted to come down. Did your old man take you over the Westgate Bridge? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he took me over the Westgate Bridge. I was going to say, did he take me somewhere else around there? Some some dodgy joint. I was- <laughs> no, 
there's I, I only know uh, great above board places. Really? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, same. Yeah, I'm the same <laughs> as well. Um, but nah, so it was um, it was grass that they they were interested and saw something in me. So yeah, they saved me. And you had a kind of new, exciting place to not only play footy but to to live and thrive. Yeah. So the first few months I was driving from Croydon and it was it was a bit of a nightmare. But then I moved into Maribyrnong, which is right next to Thingo. So um, yeah, I used to drive in real early to miss the traffic and sleep in my car on a servo before. <laughs> yeah, the same servo every day. It was a weird little thing I had. It was bizarre actually, but um, just to get me bearings and get used to it all. But um, finally moved in five minutes from the club so I could sleep in my own bed. So it was all right. Was there a, a bit of a, a teething period getting to a new club, getting to know the guys? Because from an outsider's perspective, you've got a little bit of a reputation in the group at that time of uh, being a bit of a prince of the change room, a real, you know, you think of you, Tom Liberatore, some of those bigger names in terms of like the guys that, yeah, gee, I'd, they're guys I'd love to meet. They seem just as good off the pitch as they are on the field. Um, how long did it take to establish that kind of a fairly tight-knit uh, relationship with, with some of the guys in that change room? Um, I took a little bit of time, but I guess it went pretty quickly because we, we didn't have a coach at the time I've spoken about, you know, so it really was player-driven, you know. Like Bob Murphy took up the slack and then it was sort of all – and, you know, it was like you said, like I didn't know Tom, you know, Libra and all that, but played on and played and that. So you sort of know through circles, friends of people and that. So it wasn't a huge baptism of fire. We sort of gave each other a wink and a nod and, you know, it's – I've met you before. Yeah, yeah, almost like yeah, right. I like you, yeah. So um, it was it was pretty quick in in that in that in that regard. But um, and then we sort of had to do it because we had no coach. So it was it was a really good little period for us to galvanise. That word's used a lot, but it really was. Not having a senior coach is it's a gaping chasm in a footy club. I can imagine like that's Brendan McCartney had just vacated the position. Or, yeah. Or- yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, so it was um. They were looking for a coach, and Luke, I think, come up just before Christmas. So I was, it was, it was odd coming into it, because <laughs> then and Ben McCartan was the one who got me over there. So there was a time where I thought there was a little period. Where I thought, am I, is it still on the table? It really, it really was like that. I was. I was like, I don't actually know if I'm going there anymore. Like, because you actually mentioned Brendan McCartney a little bit in your time before you ended up at the Swans, is that right? He was sort of a figure in your footy career. Yeah, so he was affiliated with Bendigo at the time of Essendon. Um, so he was floating around and he's come down to training and that and take us some time. So a few coaches went through and did that sort of thing. So you sort of become familiar with certain people, but it's cool that you're stuck in his mind a little bit. So you're playing that really good footy at, at Bendigo in the VFL, yeah. and then he must have noticed something. You obviously got picked up in in the draft by Sydney, but I guess you might have been on his mind a little bit in terms of maybe a missing ingredient at the Bulldogs for that whole three years. Yeah, well, it sort of he sort of was one of the ones that was sort of getting behind me when I was at Bendigo, and you know just training and that. So um, I was there's a lot of people like that over the stretch that. I've been lucky to have have in my corner. You know, you need it. You need a bit of luck and you need people to back you. So in the end, it was I got there and lucky. Lucky they still had it on the table. And there was that gap. Luke Beveridge arrived from the outside. Just seems like he brings everything that I love about really good local footy coaches and was actually able to implement it at the – AFL level doesn't always work out. No, yeah. You know, you hear of guys like you know Brendan Bolton, school teacher, was an assistant coach for the longest time, is sort of in the system, but Beveridge coming from out of the system to an extent, yeah, and having quite a lot of success down at St Bede's Mentone, winning a bunch of flags in a row in the VAFA, yeah, and then implementing it at AFL level, that's a that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, 
No, it was from from the get go. It really was like he. It did have that vibe, you know, like even built the Bulldogs in general, Footscray, um, Western Bulldogs. When I got there, that was one of the things I loved about it. It had that community feel, like a local club, you know, the rooms and the, the stand and the ground. It was like it felt – it relaxed you a lot, you know, and it felt – and then Luke brought that even more in the way that he let us just play, you know. He sort of gave us control, you know, a young, a young team control. Um to an extent, obviously, but, you know, whatever whatever was happening in your life, you know, if you trained, got there early, trained, played well, played hard, you know, it's, we'll leave it at that. And also just just the freedom to play how we, you know, to take your kicks and that because everyone was shit scared. When I got to the club, everyone was shit scared to, you know, kick it anywhere but down the line. Yeah, you know, off the 45, take a risk. Exactly, like, it, and it really was noticeable. I got there from Sydney and I was like, What's, everyone kicking just long down, this is bizarre. Like, it was, and guys were scared to do it. And Luke freed that up um, and it just freed up a young team and gave him confidence, I think. From a personal perspective on an individual level, what was your relationship like with, with Luke Beveridge? I've heard a few things, um, but I wanted to hear from you what that relationship meant to you and maybe how it drove your footy career. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. He came to me really early on and um, sort of mentioned the things I just did and about how I was at the Swans. He knew about it all and because I'd played my first game against Hawthorne, which was um, – he was there at the time. And he actually mentioned something about that, about saying, you know, I was impressed in that and in the way I played. And he sort of just freed up my mind as well because I'd been sort of starved and come down and I was, along with the rest of the team, probably a bit gun shy, you know, um, but wanting to sort of make my mark. And But he sort of gave me that. He said, you know, no matter how many times you miss the kick and and that he had all plans for me and stuff. So he, he put it all in front of me and gave me confidence to have somewhere to go. I wasn't just... You know, you're playing in the twos, you might play ones if you play well. He had a real plan um, and that really gave me clarity um, and, yeah, to do to do what we did. I guess having the sense that the person in charge of where the team's going does have a plan and it has sort of looked to future-proof and, and they've got a few things in the works, almost like that they can see into the future. Yeah. I guess that would be a really calming, kind of reassuring thing for the whole group. It really is and a lot of... You know, a lot of teams, a lot of relationships with coaches are are not personal at all, you know. Like, uh, you know, some coaches don't you know, even my jokes and say, I don't even know if they knew my name, you know. So <laughs> um, to have that personal thing with him straight away, you know, he, and he knew everything about everyone and, you know, actually cared about what was going on, you know. He didn't just give you the, the wink in the, you know, the change rooms or when he's walking past in the corridor. He really cared about your football and your personal life, which is pretty rare, I think. We chatted a little bit last week with uh, Neil Morris Dalton from the Bulldogs AFLW team about that magic at the Witten Oval that you mentioned, and so many people talk about it. It's the envy of just about every other club in the comp. You know, Carlton's got Princess Park, great storied history, but it doesn't quite have, you know, Vic Park at Collingwood, you know, Windy Hill. There's something in the walls at Witten Oval that I think everybody else looks at and thinks, gee, I wish I had that little missing ingredient. What kind of a a vibe was there, if you can even put words to it, and how much of an importance did the does the club and did the team at that time place on, you know, FaceTime with with fans, something that over the last couple of years so many teams and clubs and members have been so starved of. There is that you're right, there is that sense of you know, history and every every club ground like you said has their history, but it's probably in the like, how much of a fight it's been for them. I think, and the the amount of crap they've gone through. You know, they've nearly lost the club 
in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, they've so they've been through it all. You know, there's been a lot of stuff happen there that has been club defining, you know, and I'm sure other clubs have been in similar positions, but I think the dogs for being the underdogs, you know, for um for so long has built this real resilience and and they all still come out, you know, then the same fans are there that were there 20 years ago, come and watch us train, you know, when we have an open session. So, you know, and they all, you know, you know them by name and they know you and it's, um, it's, it is special. It really is. It's cool. That to me, like, I just hearing that, it kind of gives me a little bit of um, hope that, you know, AFL's moving in a particular direction and you can, you can see it. There's, you know, it's a corporatization, it's a kind of monetization a capitalization but it, it gives me a lot of hope and i love to hear that there's still that human element of footy clubs because i'm not i'm sure it's not just the bulldogs it's just so palpable yeah with everyone i've talked to from from inside and outside the walls that gee it's it's there in a big way yeah yeah it really is yeah i want to talk a little bit more about your time at the dogs and uh there's a little rumor floating around that you said to your mates that if you played every game in 2000 you're cracking up a beer i think he's he's realizing that maybe the hard-hitting questions are coming is that right Shane? i know i know there was a rumor coming now 2016 if you played every game you'd um buy yourself a, a spa a big spa bath did you keep your end of the deal? You know what? I didn't, and I'm going to get roasted for this. Why nah. would you do it? So I said, yeah, I said, oh, boys, jacuzzi was sitting out there, and I hadn't played a game, I think. I didn't play it, yeah. So I played a couple of games, and I said, I play every game of the year, and that's, that was including finals. And <laughs> we played every game and won the granny, and I still didn't get the jacuzzi. Why not? Can you tell me why? It's bullshit, isn't it? You don't have nah, a good answer. There's no, there's no nah, reasonable answer. It's actually bullshit. You know, I might actually mm, might work on that. That's pretty crap, isn't it? Out of the, I mean, you dig trenches, mate. You could probably do a little in ground special for yourself. The deck outside, I know. I, yeah, that was that was crazy. That, and I can't believe I didn't. I spent all my money on overseas, I think, or at Libby's house. So much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> So much trade and plumbing experience. There's genuinely no excuse yeah, for you no not excuse, to have a spark. I know. Emmy, Emmy, old man and brother are chippies as well, so I literally have no excuse. Do you reckon your partner Sophie's like nodding along at home? Does she nice. really want to spar as well? No, I don't reckon. There's not much room out there, so I don't know. She's probably going no because she knows I'll get the get the crew over and run a muck. So, no, nah, she's probably not nodding. What was that like as a player in terms of the actual lead up to the 2016 yeah. grand final? Leading up to the, I think even you know the whole final series, um, there was you know a bit of the unknown, and I think it was everyone was getting you know everyone was getting rinsed in it, and and it sort of was until the pre- prelim win, it was that bit of you know it was a bit of like a lot of nerves obviously, um, but I think until and we won the prelim, um, I think everyone started to feel something feel something serious, and um, I think the players did, and I think the I think the fans did, especially once we got through that prelim because we they lost about the last well all of them they didn't made a granny in what 50, 60 years, so um, yeah until then there was that belief, but yeah like you said it was just crazy it was like you were a rock star it really was you go to a cafe and it was it was mayhem so um, that's definitely one one of the biggest things um, I'll remember from the whole experience. I just remember getting in the car. I go for the blues. I've always gone for the blues. I lived in Carlton at the time and it was just one of those things. I got in the car straight after the result. Everyone was watching on the TVs in the pubs, the clubs, the every house in the Western Sub. I feel like every house in Melbourne yeah, was watching yeah, that game. Yeah. I just got straight in the the Volkswagen and cruise straight over to the Western Suburbs because I knew that there was going to be a party. I knew it was absolutely on. Uh, my cousin, before I moved into Yarraville, was living there and so it was just... 
I don't know, the vibe on the street was a street festival. I yeah. mean, it's it's that at the best of times in Yarraville, especially. You've got that sort of open uh, pop-up park sit, uh, set up yeah, down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. You, you talk about the you know Italians doing well in the Soccer World Cup and Ligon Street popping off. I've never quite seen anything like the inner western suburbs when the doggies were going well in 2016. Yeah, it was crazy. Well, then the, the day after as well, we had it. We all met at the at Whitnoval, and all the fans from Yarraville and that come. And it was it was honestly more packed than the MCG the day before. Um, it was crazy. That was honestly like you're the Beatles. It was, and we'd all rocked up there in the same kit as yesterday. And you know, it was pretty rough, pretty rough sort of feeling. But it was crazy being at a whole other cup in front of. Um, all, you cra- all those crazy Western Bulldogs supporters. What's the wash-up from a grand final actually like? I mean, you don't need to go into depth detail, but, uh, you know, the, the siren goes, you've won the flag, there's the ceremony, there's uh, medal presentations, the cup gets raised. Take me through what happens next. There's obviously a few um, beverages flowing, the cordials are happening. What did it look like for Shane Biggs? Oh, um, tough question. Yeah, real tough question. Now, nah, well, we just go in the room straight after, and you know, there's the eskies and that, as you can imagine, and pass around the cup, and there's all the family and that in there at that stage, family and friends, and um, you sing the song, and it's it is mayhem. It's honestly a blur. Everyone probably says it, and but it's, there's I've never had as much blur as that. You know, it's it's like you just don't know what you're feeling, and then everyone sort of clears out, and then it's just the players sort of the coaches and players, then eventually it's just the players still there. And I think that's the real, that real special bit where you're all sort of just sitting there, you know, speedos or whatever and having a beer and, um, you know, you almost don't even know what to say. You don't even know even talking about the footy because that was such a blur too. So it's just, it's honestly, it's a crazy experience. Um, and then we get bussed off to um, to the aftermatch function where we catch up with the family and friends again and that's grass. That's when everyone can really enjoy it with you. Um, then post that. You know, it's as quick as you can get to Libbers, I think. But <laughs> nah, but we had, we, you know, we had some stuff planned, and then, um, and then, you know, who carries on carries on. But and then, yeah, so it was all, all a bit of a blur. But kick on. So I imagine Libbers the man for the job, and that's fairly roundly accepted. Well, I don't know. I don't know how many days, weeks I was at that house, but um, I was there for a long time until we all went away. But um. Yeah, it was a sort of almost a ticketed event to his house, I think, in Brunswick after that. <laughs> yeah. On a personal level, obviously, the lead up and the, the wash up from a grand final is a massive thing. I'm actually curious, you mentioned your friends and family and they can come down into the rooms after the result and you see them after the match, not necessarily knowing what to say because it's such a, a massive moment and there's so many years and years of, of discipline, of training, of uh, dreaming about that moment, winning an AFL grand final. What was it like for your family, do you reckon? Um, and did you sort of involve them a little bit? Yeah, I involved them heaps. I mean, they they flew to every game. They did everything with me. So it was honestly more so them than me, when, me and the team winning. But um, So they, they would have been in the rooms win or loss as well. So they come down not knowing what what was going to be like. So um, once the siren when they come down, it was more just you looked at each other and didn't need to say much, really. You didn't. You got a couple of photos, but then it was just some tears and um, some kisses and that. Um, but it didn't say much. I mean, not until the aftermatch function when you really could sit down and have a beer with them and have a chat. Still not really about the footy side of it, more just about the whole the whole journey. Um, and it was grass about to spend that with them and 
Yeah, so that was um that was a special moment of the whole thing. I'm so curious. This final siren goes. You've won the grand final. Where does your head go to straight away? Is it your teammates? Is it yourself? Is it Sophie or is it you know somebody um somebody else? Your your, your dad? <laughs> was that not Sophie? <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> Um, I honestly, I'll tell you what I first, one of the first things I thought was, because I was at Sydney when they won the flag um, and I was on the list. But And I remember them all wearing their jumpers over their suit shirts out that night and I thought, that's so sick. Like, that's sick. And we had the daggy suits on and we were almost a plus ones. Like, it was, you know, it was really – so that's that's the first thing I thought of. I thought, I can just wear this stinking jumper for days and that's that's honestly one of the first things I thought. But I remember looking over and um, seeing everyone on the ground carrying on and I actually just stood there for a little bit and looked, looked it up in the stands and sort of almost – I just didn't know what to do. And then eventually went, oh, shit, I better – better get around the boys so that's sort of how it happened yeah i wanted to talk a little bit about the way that your footy career ended i guess it, yeah. it started in a pretty unique fashion it also ended i guess from from the perspective of a fan fairly abruptly and kind of a little bit at least from the outside out of nowhere you were 27 years old when yeah, you yeah. decided to pull the pin and end your footy career at the highest level what was going through that decision? What was going through your mind when you made that decision? And was it kind of a tap on the shoulder situation or had you got what you wanted out of the game? It was kind of a mix of things, to be honest. I um, For the, probably the year before that, you know, my body started failing me a bit. I wasn't training much. My my hips were stuffed. Um, and that happened pretty quickly. It really did. You were saying it happened abruptly. So that my body happened quickly, you know. I'd always, have, always had a bit of trouble, but not like that. Um, and then so then you lose confidence in that and then, you you know, it translates to games. You're not you're not doing what you want out there. You're not getting what you want out of footy. And it plays on your mind. Um, and then, you know, mentally it was really tough. You know, it was a really tough few years to end. Um, and then, yeah, so and then by the end of it, it was – you know, it was getting towards the end of the season and, you know, I could have had another push for, you know, maybe play somewhere else or play the dogs if, you know, I, I strung some games together. But I just – I got to the point where I, I didn't actually really want to train and I didn't really want to play um, any level. I didn't want to play, you know. And so I got to that point where I just sat down with myself and my manager and I said, look, I, if I don't want to run out on the field with my mates, like I don't want to do it to them, it's not fair. It's not fair that I keep trying to do it if I don't want to do it, you know, for money or whatever it is. I was like, I'm just, it's, you know, it's, that's it. And he and he fought it for a bit, you know. He wanted me to, he didn't quite understand the that element of it, you know, the mental side of it, what I was going through and um, how much it was breaking me. So, um, but he, you know, he come around and realised that there was more serious things at play than running out and kicking a footy. So um, that's sort of how that happened. So I can see how it would have looked pretty abrupt, you know, and it was, you know, I was 27 and after some some great years. But, um, yeah, it just was was time for, for me. Yeah. I guess the process of making that decision isn't necessarily abrupt. I imagine you would have thought about that for quite a long time. Was that whole process just like you don't need to go too far into it? But was it just agonising? Yeah, so it was pretty much that whole last year, pretty much um, all twenty eighteen. Um, it was sort of on my mind, and it was sort of boiling over at different points, and it was hard because you you know because I was talking about before your family's so involved with it all, and even that it's like telling them you know you you know a big thing in life in general you're just scared to tell your parents or whatever you know you're scared to, but you know they'll back you up no matter what and and they did but 
you know, it was that hard thing, you know, they get every game and that. So it was that scary. But then they go, you shouldn't be scared of doing it, you know, and saying it. But it was a long time before I sort of voiced it and then I started doing it with a few of my good mates um, and then it and my family and then it trickled through and to to the people I needed to talk to about it. But yeah, it was it was shocking to, it was a shocking time. I can only relate to it on a very borderline unrelated level in that when I was a junior footballer, I played a lot of junior footy, called the, pu- pulled the pin on that, didn't like any hit in the head anymore, decided I was probably a bit timid to, to take it any further and telling my dad. Yeah, yeah. I just found that to be, I just couldn't Scariest do it. The thing you've ever done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. rode every bump and I imagine your mum and dad were the same yeah, and your, yeah. your relatives were you know, riding every bump and kind of wincing with every tackle and just hoping you could do your very best. Yeah, and watching every moment of every game, that was the same with with my family and friends. Because you know there was a bit there, and I was tall, and you know people were like, "Oh, he could, he, he could, could do he so, could be yeah, something yeah. here." And just deciding that it to sit back and maybe concentrate on year twelve a little bit more. Oh man, I can hearing you say that was it was agonising. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it sounds like it's so small fry compared to an AFL career, but so I can only really. Really imagine, but it's a, it's of on a low level. It's the same, but this is the same in any, you know, your parents in anything you do, you know, your job or anything, just little. I mean, I don't have any tattoos, but I'm, my brother went home with one and would kill him, you know, because he's he was always one of them or whatever. But that's to him, that's the same thing, you know. It's just the biggest thing in their life to do with you, but you think it is. I mean, once I told him, it's like, you know, my mum was like, I knew, you know, she knows everything, you know, like she goes. You've been a shell of what you were for ages, you know, stuff like that. It's like, do you like Jim? I was like, oh no. It's like, oh, far out. Like I've been shitting myself for six months, and you knew, like. Um, but no, it's just that's the best thing about families. Like, you know, it's the way they are, and they'll be with you no matter what. So it was, it was a great, it was a good period once I was able to get it all out and had a plan for myself going forward because yes. it was. Tell me a little bit more about that plan going forward. What what was on the cards for for Shane Biggs after yeah pulling the pin and and uh, retiring? Well, I, I definitely wanted to just have some just just to take a big deep breath and you know have a, tried a few different things and have a rest. Um, but I just really wanted to I wanted to try and play some local footy with my mate, my couple of good mates at the time. I wanted to try and just go down there and you know be down at a club, you know, again and just be involved, but nothing serious and. Um, so that was good to get that year out of the way. Um, and to be honest, playing wasn't really on the cards. I never thought I'd go straight back to it, but I was offered a, offered a good job and um, went back into it and now I love it. So, um, But, yeah, it was, it was a hard period. It really was the transitioning thing. Um, it was odd. It was, um, it was a lot of just teething stuff and working out how to be a normal person again and not take things so serious and not be so competitive, but um, you got there in the end, so I'm all right now. Yeah, I was going to ask, you reckon you've, you've got there in the end or is it still a bit of a work in progress? Oh, I get, yeah, I get, when I say got there in the end, I mean got through that period. Yeah, it's a work in progress, it is. Um, you find yourself just in weird little things getting, you know, drips back of, you know, that crazy energy or competitiveness or just that anxiety and can't sleep. I mean, I was never a good sleeper, but... You know, if something's coming up or something, so I definitely do still get that. The body still produces something that reminds me of it. You know, you need to find a white line. Anywhere. Yeah, I Just, know. We're, we're, yeah. So to speak, that <laughs> accidental. <laughs> Brought you to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yes. What yes. are your competitive outlets? Um, I wouldn't say it's really competitive, but me and my, me and my um, assistant's fiance now, so my brother-in-law-to-be, um, do a bit of music, so do a bit of DJing and trying to make some tunes. So it's not really competitive, but it's an outlet. Oh, I guess it is. Like before we go on and that, I've I've been more nervous than playing footy, honestly. It's, Get those juices going, see, hey? Yeah, I know, because people that are crazy, you know, having a good time dancing, don't want to hear shit, so... And I know that feeling, so they're pretty nervous times sometimes. Take me through the music that you're making. Yeah, so it's sort of just that's pretty recent. We're trying to do some sort of melodic techno, you know, dancey stuff. Um, so that's a bit of a work in progress. So that's good. It's something to bit of an outlet, you know, even just to get on the music and that. It's get on the tunes when I get home and just release a bit. But um, but in in terms of competitiveness, it's in weird little stuff. I oh, actually. Sophie, my girlfriend, um, took me to play one of those, you know, where you drink and play mini golf, whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She she took me there. What day is it? Yesterday. She took me there yesterday. Holy moly. I know. And literally I got there. I was a bit, you know, I was a bit sort of had a few drinks on for. I was a bit hungover and just instantly that card come out and, you know, just instantly want to put wages on it and that. So little things like that. So she's probably not going to want to do that again because I was a bit – Probably a bit hard to be around for the for the nine. We only did nine, so she's probably thank God she didn't freaking book twelve. Um, but yeah, so it's, I was carrying on a bit there. So it, it comes and goes, but I'm generally pretty chill now. I'm not chill when it comes to playing competitive sports. <laughs> I hit the white line and it's just it's on. It's on. Have you ever thought about maybe uh, pulling on the pulling on the futsal shoes? I've I've had a few I've had a few elbows in the ribs um, over Instagram from. Couple of quiet nudges. A couple, yeah, a couple of quiet nudges from some some different people. But I might, you know, I think my I think my hip might hold up there. I can't play footy anymore. Cricket shit. My body's falling <laughs> apart. My body's genuinely on its last legs, and I can still play futsal. Yeah, play futsal. So you got no excuse. So you're not you're not goalie yet, are you? Though. So that's the last resort. You. That's where you move when you can't really move. Yeah, right. Listening to this knows that I absolutely shirk goalkeeping responsibilities oh. at every possible opportunity. Who wants to be a goalkeeper? Really, it's pretty. It's pretty. It's, it's not very money, is it? I've <laughs> seen some pretty bad splayed, broken fingers. <laughs> Everything about it is just. Even if you do a good save, you look. It looks silly. I get the meaningful eyes. They're like, okay, guys, we're gonna we're gonna shift responsibilities and swap among three guys. We really need a couple of players to put their hands up and just the eyes are like, I'm just going to actually do a warm-up in the corner. <laughs> he goes missing there. <laughs> He's on the massage table. You're you're built for goalie too. That's probably another thing that your teammates are pretty flat with. You've actually just planted a very dangerous yeah, seed, Shane. You've got that sort of, yeah, you got the you got the limbs for it. Don't let futsal be the spa. Don't. Don't not follow through on futsal. Someone's been in your ear, I reckon, about this. Has this been a big futsal sort of recruiting scheme thing, this? I promise this isn't a scheme. I genu- I saw it in your eyes when you started talking about, I mean, there's a certain satisfaction and a, and a fun and a, you know, getting up and about involved with DJing, but it's not team sport, is it? It's not white line fever. I reckon we're a chance, Anth. Oh, yeah. What's the, what's the go? Is it, um, is it a set team? Is it, have I got a... Fight at tra- have I got to train well? You've come at an interesting time, in fact. I mean, we've got a few little conversations going on behind closed doors, but uh, growth is on the cards for our Sport FC, growth. potentially. <laughs> what? As in just more players or like... Maybe. <laughs> I've got no... Skills growth. <laughs> what is- personal growth and development. Yeah, you're not worried about personal development. <laughs> Genuinely, though, there's... Uh- is Jasper playing? Does he play with you? 
Is he handy or is he is he goalie? He's goalie material too. He is does. Uh, he'd hate that, but he looks like a goalie. When I shirk responsibility, Jasper's like, oh, I'm going to have to put the hand up again. But he's, to be honest though, he's wasted in goals because he is so good up the field. He? Yeah, he's got a beautiful left strike, but he's also got a, a, a right leg on him. Ambidextrous goal kicking. Yeah, goalkeeper. <laughs> he brings, you know, that sort of, that real um, just taking and run with an energy yeah. he brought to footy off the halfback flank. Same. He just does the same thing at futsal. It takes a few risks, but when it pays off, gee, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Got all the makings. Good bunch of boys. I reckon Shane's got defender written all over <laughs> I thought you were going to straight away try and put me in goals there. No, mate. I'm not coming down for that. I've actually got grander plans for, than that for you. All right, good. Yeah, I'll go in defence. Yeah, I'll go defence. Do you reckon I'm, this this whole thing is actually – Anthony doesn't even know about this, but I'm the, actually the only one that plays defence on our team. So uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to recruit some other yeah. defenders. Well, once it, once it goes, everyone just goes up the field to that. There's a bit of me time up the field. and uh, But it, it really lacks – me personally, I'm yeah. always the one hanging back. Yeah, someone's got to do it though. Someone does have to do it, and if somebody doesn't do it, there's bad consequences for the team. Yeah, so no, I might give you a hand. When, what night is it? It's uh, it's Wednesdays at this stage, but uh, again, I've got no straight answers for you about what growth means. But um, there could be multiple nights on the card. <laughs> multiple nights? You're kidding me? No, as in like one, one. You'd be on one. I'd be on one. Possibly, uh, I, uh, Anthony's like, don't say it, man. We're going from team oh, to club, yeah. potentially. You mean so there might be like ones and twos? Yeah, man. Oh, far out. Straight back into the furnace. Straight, shit scared to get selected. If by the furnace you mean the uh, centre back for the twos, twos, absolutely. No, I reckon as you've As long as I get one of those nice soccer shirts with my um, subs, I'll be happy. They're, we only make nice soccer oh, shirts, man. so you're a chance. A really strong chance, in fact. It'll happen. Oh, I thought you were going to present it with me now. <laughs> I don't have that. Uh, that's not my jurisdiction. I'm just the voice. I just make promises that I personally can't keep and Anthony now feels obliged. <laughs> um, I'm curious to, to finish up, I guess, on what the future might hold for you, Shane. Um, what do you reckon? I reckon. Um, well, I'm in my fourth year of plumbing now, um, so hopefully get that ticked off at some point. I mean, closer to knowing nothing, but... How far off is that? Um, probably this year. But, um, you know, it's just still everyone says you learn as you go and that, you know. So I've got to – there's a lot to learn, So, but I'm enjoying it. Um, what else? Can, can cricket, I think, play futsal. Uh, <laughs> saying all the right things. Um, um, saying all the right things. Oh, yeah. Um, hopefully get a few DJ gigs out of this. Um, that's probably that's probably on the horizon, that. That's probably it. You mentioned you're in your fourth year of plumbing. There's a certain, I guess, from looking at it, um, there's a bit of flexibility and open-endedness with a trade. There's that kind of you could maybe go and work for someone else or there's really is that opportunity to start a little small business and maybe do your own thing, plumbing. Would that ever be something you'd consider, starting a small business? Um, well, maybe one day. I'm in the commercial game at the moment, so it's it's good it's fun it keeps keeps changing you know you're doing big stuff some smaller stuff um so i'm just going to try and learn as much as i can and maybe one day if someone trusts me to change over their taps or something i'll do it but i think i'll be pretty busy doing playing this shit with you and dj and making some tunes so we'll see hopefully shane biggs thanks so much for joining no our conversation i really you boys. appreciate your time it's been great cheers boys thanks Stay up to date with everything our conversations via our social media platforms at rsport double underscore on the gram or via the website www.r-sportswear.com.